influencer marketing is an area that's facing some pretty scathing criticism at present. Part of that is down to the way some influencers approach their work with brands, but another part is due to brands not using influencer marketing in a strategic manner. I think we have to treat influencers less like media channels and more like we are used to treating journalists and analysts. Scott Guthrie is an independent communications professional who specialises in influencer marketing. His view is that there are distinct methods of finding and working with influencers that pay dividends if they're followed. Finding the right influencers for a product or, or service category is both an art and a science. It's not about sucking up to the influencers, whether they're journalists or, or just content creators. It is about generally having an affinity with them. And if you like their content, share their content. If you don't like their content, say why you don't like the, the content. It just shows you that you're not a, a, just a, a fanboy or, or a suck up, but you have something of worth to bring to that relationship. In today's show, Scott and I discuss the differences between B2C and B2B influencer marketing, how the business-to-business side takes more thought, and why the B2C side could learn a lot from the business-to-business guides. This is Digital Download, a podcast that explores the latest thinking in digital communications, PR and social media. Here's your host, Paul Sutton. So I've been getting lots of questions about influencer marketing recently, specifically with regard to the differences between consumer and B2B influencers and whether there are any differences and what those are. So what I decided to do was turn to the person who I consider to be influential on this particular topic, which is you, Scott. How are you doing? Paul, good morning. Doing very well. It's a bit meta, isn't it, being an influencer about influence, but um, (laughs) I'll see if I can help you out on this podcast. Yeah, lovely. Okay. So let's dive in then. So the big area that I have been asked about a lot is whether, like I say, there are differences between influencer marketing from a consumer sense and from a B2B sense. So let's start with that. What, What do you think are the key differences between those two areas? I think you have to scroll back a little bit just to see what the differences in the, in the marketing approach are, Paul. 90% of B2B buyer journey is done probably before the prospect reaches out to a salesperson. So B2B firms, they need to use content and social media to reach the right people in the right time with the right message. The characteristics of B2B marketing are that the sales cycle may be long. The buyer's journey is complex and nonlinear. The uh, ultimate decision-making may be influenced by many other people within the, the company. So there's, a, there's an interplay and maybe politics in there. And meaningful uh, influence may be happening in hard-to-measure or hard-to-find areas. They might be on in online forums. It might be in, in industry conferences. Uh, it may be on face-to-face uh, discussions. Yeah. So, so that, I think, is an important just to, to, just a benchmark. Tracker did some in, interesting analysis, I think this time last year. And it found in terms of uh, influencer marketing, B2B are still sort of testing the waters a little bit compared to the counterparts in the B2C arena. Okay. Uh, 55% of B2C companies run ongoing and integrated influencer marketing programs. Only 15% of B2B companies surveyed consider the programs to be mature. Do B2B influencers hang out in different places than 
consumer influencers? Do, are they on different platforms? I th- yes, I think they are. I mean, I'm, it's, it's not mutually exclusive. They hang out in the same areas, yeah. uh, naturally. But they also hang out in, in, in other areas as well. And that, and that makes them B2B influencers harder to to find uh, often and harder to harder to work with at the beginning so b2c instagram obviously huge uh, facebook huge youtube yeah. huge b2b less so so it might be on blogs it might be on on yeah. twitter and linkedin yes but also in in closed uh, community groups uh, and closed message boards as well so that it's harder to crack into those people and, and find and find them i think we'll talk about how to find them uh, these b2b influencers in a little while but i think that's a that's a main difference also the the length of the of the setup because it's harder to find b2b influencers it's the length of nurturing takes long a lot longer we've already covered that the yep. the customer journey and b2b purchases is often long and complex and so a relationship with an influencer tends to be a lot longer we're ditching these tentpole campaigns in in deference to longer more mutually rewarding business growth partnerships yeah you you mentioned there meaningful influence do you want to explain a bit what you mean by that yeah sure i think uh, and a lot of b2c influencer marketing people are still obsessed with big numbers and uh, we've talked about this before um, well we've commented on each other's blogs in in the past paul but uh, being popular isn't the same proxy as being influential no absolutely and um, a meaningful relationship takes time whereas a b2c you can engage with an influencer uh, and pay for them to upload an Instagram post or a couple of Instagram posts. To understand the nuance of the B2B play takes time to understand and to nurture that relationship. That's what I mean by meaningful. I think it's counterproductive to create an influence relationship based on selling. In the B2B space, it's more about building a story, building engagement around that that subject area so when i'm talking about meaningful i think the biggest influences aren't those with big reach they're the influences with the most knowledge that can tap into the most relevant people yeah and and one of the questions i was going to ask you in fact was about what actually identifies someone as, as influential on the b2b side and this applies actually to the consumer side as well, because like you said then, I think there's still a perception from certainly a lot of agencies that I've worked with who look at the numbers of fans and followers. And you and I both know that is a totally ridiculous way to look at things. So what what should someone be looking for specifically on the B2B side to identify whether someone is actually influential? I think you're right. I think reach is is a, a metric but it should be way down the list of priorities start instead with relevance then then with resonance determine who your prospective uh, influencers are influencing right. are they influencing the decision makers the cfos the procurement managers it's important to find out what they're trying to achieve as an in, as an influencer as well what their motivations are it might be that they they just want to make a, a fast buck amass some some quick revenue through sponsorship yep. deals that would probably be a red flag because as we, we said before it should be about creating long-term mutually beneficial business partnerships so a, a fast buck is probably going to be a red flag instead they, they might be generally wanting to understand more about your brand it might be a brand they either admire or they just want to know more, more about it 
Also, they might just be want to become more influential. Yeah. So find out what, what their what the prospective influences. Uh, motivations are focus on small groups of influences okay. keep on saying build deep mutually rewarding relationships with them so the brand gets to know them and the influencers get to know the brand and the products in- intimately yeah in that vein what do you think the typical incentives for b2b influencers are because on the consumer side it's pretty much widely accepted that a brand will pay an influencer for a sponsored post or to get involved in a campaign the influencer will produce some content and away you go there's your your partnership if you like and that like you said that's more the kind of tentpole stuff but that tends to be what i see on the consumer side on the b2b side are the incentives different because i mean you've you've referenced there things like whether for example, an influencer just wants to be more influential. So are there things like, I don't know, cross promotions or things like that that should be considered over and above or at least as much as the, the payment? Yeah, I think I think the motivations are more complex than in the B2C space. It could be about building their own brand. It could be about building an affinity with the brand. Yeah. It could be about generally trying to find out more about about the product and how how the B two B product will will fit in with, within their their realm of of subject matter expertise. Yeah. Finding the right influences for a product or, or service category is both an art and a science. So tracking is more uh, difficult compared to the B two C space. I find that the people who reach out to me as a blogger and a podcaster, I get approached about things like software tools, for example. And at the moment, there seems to be a whole load of social media community management tools around. I am always curious about what the the vendor might want from me by giving me free access to a tool, for example. And they're often not very explicit. Do they want me to write about it? I find the approaches to be quite vague. Do you think that's more common on the B2B side? I think it's more common because it's still immature as a discipline. In the B2C space, influencers are are used to pitching their work to to brands, just as brands are used to pitching their their pitch to uh, to influencers. Yeah. And there's you know there, there's a whole sort of checklist of of criteria. Not just, you know, do they create good content and does it resonate with the right audience, but do they share the same brand values and tone of voice, for example? This is a little bit more nuanced in the in the B2B space. And yes, it can be opaque when you're approached, especially, as I suppose, as, as a, a relatively new blogger, you can be seduced by a brand approaching you yeah. and really just not really trying to understand, you know, what, what their... Uh, motivations are for approaching you so you know it's about building that that partnership it's not about shilling another product but about i think getting to know each other are the brand values commensurate is the audience commensurate is the tone of voice commensurate and where do you want to go not next week or next month but in six months time you know is there is there something to uh, to grow and to nurture that relationship with i think we, we talk a lot about in influencer marketing about using influences uh, at scale at the awareness stage yeah. of the customer journey and i think that that's moving on thankfully uh, as we become less preoccupied with reach and i think a, a key area can be moving 
the influencer's input into product development, for example. Okay. So if you're honest and you're asking for honest feedback from influencers and they say, listen, I don't like your product because of X, Y, and Z, rather than shutting them down and saying thank you very much for your feedback and then taking them off the list, finding out why they don't like your product, maybe bringing them in to discuss that with your, your R&D team. Yeah maybe doing a round table and working it out. There have been plenty of examples of brave brands that have done that and even trusted an influencer just handing over their brand and doing you know, live broadcasts where they do an unboxing it and seeing it, you know, just trialing it in real time. Yeah. And it hasn't worked. But they've had a specialist on standby to make it work during a, a, a live broadcast. And from that, the company has understood that the product can be used in a different way and it's not as an intelligent way as is intended by the brand. So, you know, it, it is developing that, that level of trust, which is difficult for a brand to let go on, and, uh, you know, allowing the, the subject matter expert to do what it does best, i.e. to know its audience, to know its subject matter, and sort of to play that role in the middle. Yeah, okay. So when it comes to actually engaging these people then, You've talked already about the length of time and building up a mutually beneficial relationship over a long length of time. What is the key, do you think, to doing that? I mean, so I get approached, let's say I get approached by someone wanting to build a relationship with me. How do they keep that relationship moving beyond that initial contact? I think we have to treat influencers less like media channels and more like we as PR professionals or as marketing professionals are used to treating journalists and analysts. So it's got to be an on, it's a hackneyed phrase, but it's an always on relationship. You're not just talking to them when you need something. You're talking to them when you have something that you think is useful. And, you know, that is the key to, to all content marketing. It's not, you know, when you're writing this content, creating this content, it's not about me, 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 the brand, brand, brand. It's how can I help you, 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 the, uh, the the prospect purchaser. So it is. So if you think you've got a story that is of genuine interest and it, and is helpful to that influencer's community, that is the point to share it. I think. Yeah. Before we started recording, we were talking about the fact that Mark Schaefer guested on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I think that's actually a very good example there where. The reason I was able to get Mark to contribute to my podcast is because I have built a relationship with him over many years now. And that's just through commenting on his blogs and and sharing his podcasts and, and just building a relationship so that when I had the idea of getting him to talk about a specific topic on my podcast, it didn't come as a cold approach to him because he already knew who I was and what I was all about. So that seems to me to be a good example of what you're talking about. I think you've articulated it far more eloquently, Paul. Thank you. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, and when I work with brands, that's exactly how I coach them to build up these relationships. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's not about sucking up to the influencers, whether they're journalists or, or just content creators. No. It is about generally having an affinity with them. Yeah. And if you like their content, share their content. If you don't like the content, say why you don't like the, the content. And then don't just say it stinks, but say, <laughs> I, you know, I, I did, I, this week or this time, I disagreed with, with that yeah. bit of content. And here are the reasons why. You know, I saw this yeah. bit of research or I did that. 
And it just shows you that you're not uh, just a a fanboy or or a suck-up, but you have something of worth to bring to that relationship. But I fundamentally agree that before you can go for the ask, you have to build up that rapport and you you have to be useful and helpful to them, just as you hope that they will be useful and helpful to you and your brand. Yeah, absolutely. So where do you go about then finding influences in the B2B sphere? Because... Again, that I think it's a lot easier on the consumer side. Influential people tend to be more visible, perhaps, or it's easier to dig those people out. And like you've said, on the B2B side, okay, blogs and Twitter accounts and LinkedIn are fine because they're all very public platforms. But as you've said, a lot of that influence takes place in closed groups and closed networks on the B2B side. So I mean, are there any, for example, software tools that can help people looking for B2B influencers? Or how do you go about finding the people who are influential in your specific topic area? For sure, there are there are tools, and I'll talk about those in, in a minute. But okay. it, it is a, it's an art and it is a science. I think you have to monitor online conversations, identify emerging influencers, uh, understand their points of view and the, the sort of topics they're talking about. Look beyond just Instagram and Twitter and and, and Facebook and uh, LinkedIn, look to technical forums and communities to identify influential people. Okay. They're the subject matter experts. And they might not have a presence on mainstream social media, yeah. but they're really vocal in a very small niche area about where, where your brand plays. Seek out opportunities to incorporate these social uh, these these influences into your expert community. So, if your brand runs communities online or offline, bring them in, into those. But you obviously, have to you have to find them first. So, yeah. listen to uh, to the, the conversations having online. Go into the niche communities if if you can get access. But one of the simplest ways is to ask your employees. You know, who's influencing them? Who do they look to? Ask your existing customers for that for their points of view on influencers, yeah. uh, who influences them, and also you know for large organisations, you, your employees are possibly some of the biggest influencers themselves. They're the subject matter experts, and I'm not talking about that sort of that forced employee advocacy where you know that the corporate comms team says here's our latest post you might like to share it on your social platforms i'm talking about really creating these subject matter experts turning those into influencers in their own right by teaching them how to become more influential online so they, they might be very influential offline they might be great you know decades worth of knowledge but that's not shared yet online. So tap into that. Okay. Create your own influences. Okay. That's an interesting way to think of it, actually. So you, you mentioned there that there may be sort of tools out there and software that can help people. Can you talk a bit about what those are and where people can find them? Tracker, I would say. I'm partnering with Tracker. So I, I'll just say yep. that up, up front. Um, I'm just, I am doing a, a series of interviews with CMOs on influencer marketing okay. at scale. And so I have a, a bit of a vested interest, not, not a huge interest on in that, but uh, on Alitica, Little Bird, Brandwatch and Sysmos to, to listen to the the, yep. the the conversations that are happening online. That, that those would be my my main ones, I would think. Yeah, and all of those, obviously, if you want to use this stuff, you're going to have to pay for it because the decent tools in this area are not free. Brandwatch is a great example. It's the social listening tool I've always preferred. 
And like you say, being able to tap into conversations and just monitor and listen to what is happening helps so much in identifying who the vocal people are. And if I'm right in thinking, Brandwatch helps to identify a little bit who might be influential as well, at least by looking at things like community size. I think I'm right in saying that. Yes, yes, you're right. And of course, they acquired Buzzsumo earlier in the year. So there's a bigger tie-in with uh, finding relevant influencer marketing or influencer stories online as well and how to tease out how successful in terms of engagement those those particular stories are. Yeah, okay. I guess what we're saying overall with this is that there's not really any shortcuts with this stuff. It's not like, let's say I'm on the consumer side and I want to do a project around, I don't know, a specific food brand and I can go onto YouTube and find who my influencers are in a relatively short amount of time and then I can approach them and it's either done or it's not done. It doesn't work like that on the B2B side. It's a far longer process. It's a far more in-depth process and you have to treat it as such. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think just sort of scrolling back to what the differences are between B, B2C and B2B that we touched on at the head of the show. Yeah. Some of the B2C influencer marketing has been taken over by uh, what I call banjo influencers. The, yeah. these, these people with large social media followers that bang another influencer job out without any real affinity to the brand that they're working on sponsorship with. Yeah. Influencer marketing in the B2B space, for it to work, has to be more authentic and it has to be based on, on knowledge. It has to be based on subject matter expertise. So. On a lot of products, B2B products, it takes time to understand what these products do or these services do or what they can do, how they can help. And it takes time to build up that relationship, which is an honest relationship, not just based on on dollar signs, but based on actually understanding what you're trying to achieve and helping you achieve it. So it kind of, to, to me, B2B influencer marketing goes back to the essence of what influencer marketing should be about, about long-term mutually beneficial relationships based on subject matter expertise, not based on big Instagram accounts and Photoshopped images. Yeah. And the key to that really, everything you've talked about there is strategy, isn't it? It's about being very clear about what you want before you start going out to influence in the first place yes i mean you know i think the worst thing to do is pick up a, a copy of ad week and say oh you know influencer marketing is is very big we need to jump on that immediately yeah, yeah. it's about defining your influencer strategy it might be the right thing to do it might not be the right thing to do but it, without sitting down and, and working out what you want to achieve how long you've got to achieve those goals and how much you've got to spend on achieving it then you can work out whether influencer marketing is the right way to approach it. Or if you've got the budget, it might be more beneficial to do, you know, some SEM marketing or or some just traditional ad spend. It takes time and it takes effort to reap the dividends of B2B influencer marketing. Yeah, fantastic. Okay. Just to round off the show then, on a bit of a side note, it's something that we've talked about before, is the state of influencer marketing in a broad sense at the moment. You've referenced things like fake followers and you can buy engagement and all this stuff that goes on at the moment. And I know this is something that you have written about in the past. Do you think, from your perspective, do you think there is a crash coming or a correction in the market because of all of this 
gaming that seems to be going on. I think your question is, where does it sit on, on Gartner's hype cycle? You know, it, <laughs> yes. And a lot of people are putting it at the top and looking for a crash. I think that people are spending more and more money on influencer marketing. That means that influencers who are charging are charging a lot more. Yep. And as a result of that, brands will want and demand to see better return on investment for, for the work. Yep. So influencers that, that produce the goods will uh, have a long, happy and lucrative career ahead of them. Yep. Those that don't will be found out pretty quickly. I think we're getting to the, the tail end of let's dive into influencer marketing and uh, it seems to be the next shiny new thing. Yeah. And it's now about, you know, where are the results? How am I measuring it? How much due diligence have I put in, in the planning phase? That Has that been borne out in the measuring and monitoring and evaluation phase? So I think possibly in the second half of this year, if not certainly in the first half of next year, these banjo influencers, these, these influencers that bang another influencer job out without creating compelling content that resonates with their audience will be found out if they can't demonstrate return on investment. I also think that there have been a lot of startups that, that have formed in the last 18 months and a lot of investors got very excited. They rushed in with the, the serial A investment fees and their investments have been burnt. I think there will be a shakeout, a consolidation in the next six to 12 months in terms of platforms and offerings. And that can only probably be good for the industry as well, because it will force a maturation of the industry. There is that great expose in the New York Times earlier, earlier this year about fake following. Yeah. There was the case of El Darby earlier in the year as well. Lots of stories of you know, trying to damn you know, influencer marketing. I think it will be more the commercial imperative, more than the social conscious or indignation that think people are faking it or people are, are behaving badly. It will be the commercial imperative that drives the maturation of the industry. Yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting to watch, actually. And, and yeah, the next year will be interesting for all sorts of reasons on this front. So great. OK, well, um, where can people get hold of you if they want to talk to you directly about this stuff? Thank you very much, Paul. I write once or twice a week on my website, sabguthrie.info, or on Twitter, sabguthrie. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure we'll be in touch about this topic again within the next six to 12 months. I really hope thank so. You. Thank you very much, Paul. If you've enjoyed today's show, you can subscribe to Digital Download wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions. On Twitter, I'm at the Paul Sutton, or you can email me at paul at paulsutton.co. There's more information on the Digital Download membership scheme and on upcoming events at digitaldownload.training.